Luke 11, oh Luke, excuse me, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3, but we are going to Luke 11, 33 after this. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah. I want to start there. The title of this morning's message is, Fear the Lord and Watch Carefully. Uh, in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, we read uh, this messianic prophetic utterance by Isaiah that relates to Jesus. And in reality, this is the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was done under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. He laid aside his uh, eternal attributes, if you will, and served us as uh, a man. So he set the example for you and for me, and, and we can expect this kind of work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Uh, and let's read here. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. I think this is one of the greatest needs in the life of a follower of Christ, and that is the fear of the Lord, the respect that we should have, the humility that we should have before God. And actually, I believe this is the chief means by which God actually shapes us into his image when we really fear him and respect him. It isn't where we run and hide from him kind of fear, but it's a taking God at his word and believing him without doubt. You know, the Bible's full of, and while I'm talking, you can turn to Luke 11, just to save a little time, right? <laughs> Luke 11, 33, so we'll start this morning. But while you're going there, just a few things about the fear of the Lord, how powerful it is uh, in the scriptures. By, the Proverbs tell us that it's the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge, it lengthens your life. It is the fountain of life. Those are all in Proverbs. It is a treasure, according to Isaiah 33. It is a place of security for the believer in Proverbs. To fear the Lord is to hate evil, to hate what he hates. To fear the Lord is to be blessed. To fear the Lord will keep you from sinning, according to Exodus 20.20. 20. So God is to be respected because... He is the most awesome being that exists. None greater, none higher, none more powerful, none more holy, none more capable than God Almighty. And the Bible declares that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What does that mean, a terrifying thing, to fall into the hands of the living God? It would really be the thought that Understanding his mercy, his grace, and his goodness, and understanding these incredible attributes about him, and then failing to actually live for him, but to live for yourself. To, to end up in judgment before God and having lived a life of selfishness would be a is, is a terrifying thought. 
But Jesus came to set us free from self, free from self-worship. We're going to look at three things here this morning in our text that relate to being to this subject matter. Uh, light, understanding light is for the body. Uh, we're going to see the contrast of this. Sometimes you have to look at the bad to understand the good a little bit better. Uh, the darkness of the Pharisees, verses 37 through 54. And then the Savior's instruction to us in light of all this. Luke eleven thirty-three through 36, our first point. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. As when the light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Light. It's a, an amazing thing that we experience, you know, scientifically. You know, we learned this in science class. You know, it's that electromagnetic radiation, electric magnetic waves, right? And... Um, propagating through space at 186,280 miles per second, you know. <laughs> you know, so light is an interesting word in and of itself. And it, what does it mean? It sort of has to be contextualized to really understand uh, what's being applied with that. But scripturally, it's, um, it's truth. It's the pure, pureness of knowledge. It's what's acceptable to God. It defines that. You know, physically, light from the sun warms the planet, provides photosynthesis for plant life. It affects everything. Lights, whether we see it or not, it affects everything. The Bible's really clear uh, about light and darkness. In Genesis 1-3, through uh, God did something really special with light. In uh, verses 3-5, it says that... Uh, God said, let there be light. <laughs> and there was light. And he saw that it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So we see right out of the gate at creation, God made a difference between the two. There's no blurring of what's light and what is darkness. It's a clear thing. And so the point here is that distinctions that God has made in creation are important. The distinctions that he made in telling us the truth are important. When the Lord makes these differentiations, it's important that we pay attention to these profound things that are made, uh, these statements that are made. Um, when they're not remaining distinct and we don't observe these differentiations, then the result is confusion. And that's Satan's MO. He blurs the distinctions that God has made. 
He's, he puts those confusing things to blur our perspective on the truth. We've been lied to and deceived in so many ways, and it isn't until the light shines upon our inner man and we come to be born again that we really see the light and we begin to understand spiritual things. Jesus is the originator of light. First John, if you're uh, taking notes, First John, or no, the Gospel of John, rather, uh, 1, 4 through 11, uh, John uh, writes the following, In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't comprehend it. There was a man that was sent from God, his name was John. He came to, for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that through him we might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light, that which was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So we understand through this scripture uh, that there's more to light than just electromagnetic waves and that the sun warms the earth through its light. This pure divine truth stands in opposition to the darkness that we're surrounded by. The darkness representing sinfulness and error. We understand through this scripture that Jesus is the light of life. Everyone that's been born, everyone that's come into this world in all creation has been given life by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the word that became flesh. So what is the question remains for you and I, what are we doing with this gift of life? Our lives are to give glory and honor to his purpose. Just as light has practical purposes, and, and we use our common sense with light, we put it in a place where it's most useful in dark rooms. We can have confidence that God has a good purpose and plan for each of our lives. And he puts us in the places where we belong, where we can do the most good. And that's really why we're here. God's purpose is that we might be imagers of him, spreading his goodness throughout our sphere of influence. That's God's plan and purpose. We're not to, as it were, uh, hide this light. We're not to hide our lives. We're not to live in, in this word here. It actually means in the basement, the hidden place. God doesn't want you to be living in your basement. He wants you out where he can work through you to effect good and make good in this world. And we are to live our lives with that confidence that he is merciful and gracious despite our failings. We're not, our faith in the Lord is not something that we're to keep hidden at all. It's not to be put under a basket. What's the idea there? Oh yeah, I want to be, I want to carefully shroud my life so uh, people don't really know because I've got these things in my life that are not as they should be so I really don't want people to know that I'm a Christian, you know. You know, God put us here so that we wouldn't shroud the light, but rather we would be an influence for good to those that are living in darkness around us. We shouldn't be afraid to share our witness, should we? Should we boldly proclaim the good things that God has done for us? 
with great confidence. This is the whole idea of walking in the light as he is in the light. So Jesus explains to us really how it works and how light works within our lives. Um, the lamp of the body is the eye and it, if, first of all, affects the whole body. And the eye is to be good, as we've read here. And what, what does that mean? When we, in the context here, we're talking about the, the eye should be clear, should be healthy, full of light. The eye should not be bad, should not be evil, uh, unhealthy, and with darkness in it. You know, the second thing we notice is the eye is it just simply a receiver. It doesn't make the light. It just detects the light. It doesn't come from the eyes. It just detects the light coming to it. But also, the eye is the gateway into the heart of man. If, when you look a person in the eye and you're speaking to them, you can look right into their heart. The eyes don't lie. You know, it's important that we uh, make eye contact with people. You, you know, like when people turn around and you know, do this when you're trying to talk to them. It's kind of like there's something hiding there, right? What do you, what do you, you know? But when you have confidence in, 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 in the Lord and in, in his love and is secure in that, uh, it doesn't matter. You just, you can make eye contact with people. The eye is the gateway and it's the inlet to our consciousness. And so we have to be careful that we guard that gateway. Uh, that's why the, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not have uh, any graven image before me. He doesn't want us to see certain things. There are certain things we should not look upon. We should not engage in. We should not let into our lives. Um, just the way it is. You know, without light, our eyeballs are pretty much useless, are they not? You need light. And uh, without light, you pretty much cannot perform anything uh, with clarity. And so this is, happens in a moral sense. When people uh, are not... Uh, looking at the light, living in the light, they can't see clearly, they don't perform well. They never, uh, we don't perform up to our capabilities. The idea also here is that the reflection of the natural man as Paul's communicating with the Corinthians. The natural man doesn't receive the things of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. The only way that we can interpret and understand spiritual things is if we've been enlightened. And it's the word of God that opens our spiritual eyes to understand, to comprehend spiritual things. Most of us are aware of that. You know, you wonder how it happens, and it comes by simply walking with Jesus. It isn't some magical thing that you go, you know, you have to climb some mountain somewhere and get alone all by yourself to hear and understand the word of God. It's just simply inviting him into your life and walking with him. Remember in Luke 24 when the guys were walking on the road to Emmaus and unknowingly Jesus joined them as they were walking uh, down the road. And the Bible tells us there in verses 31, 30, 31, somewhere in that range, uh, that their eyes were opened. And as soon as the eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus, he, he left. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> but he left them. And, and then they said to each other, um, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, the light of life was with them and he opened the word of God to them. 
That's how it works in the life of a believer. Just simply walking with Jesus opens our eyes. Now, on the other hand, how does that same light work in the life of an unbeliever? There are those who criticize the gospel and the claim that God will damn everybody in hell that doesn't receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and the gospel message must be preached and there's great criticism among some uh, who refuse that. Uh, Paul states a truth that needs to be spoken and needs to be heard. This is how God works with those outside the light. In Romans 1, 18 through 20, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, the light, in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of the incorruptible man, or corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So these verses reveal how God works in the life of those outside the faith. And we see this clearly illustrated in our culture today as a crooked and perverse generation, is it not? God has made them and revealed the truth to them. The light has been manifest to them. He's revealed it to them. This is what the scripture tells us. Creation clearly reviews, re reveals him, rather, his invisible attributes, and so there is no excuse. And so Jesus is telling uh, his hearers here that, that they should need to take heed. Pay attention to the light. Watch carefully is the idea there. Pay attention to what we're looking at, what we're seeing with our eyes, and keep our eyes clean, pure. Don't let yourself become defiled by what you're watching and seeing. Clean and healthy eyes are expected. That's what God expects from us. Failure to, to cleanse our eyes can cause deep spiritual problems and considerable damage to our souls, to our lives. That's the consequences of looking upon the darkness. We don't want the light in us to be darkness. We want our light to be without darkness. This is what he's telling us. The whole body should be full of light. And if we walk closely with Jesus, the result of that is your life will light up everybody else around you. And that's why you're here. That's the purpose of God, that you might do good and be good and be a blessing to others. Now, we see in contrast to this in verse 37 through the remainder of this chapter. Uh, I'll read through a few of these verses here. Um, 
we'll see the darkness of the Pharisees. This is in contrast. These are the religious people. These are the people who are God's representatives to the nation. Verse 37 reads as follows. As he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have. Indeed, all things shall be are clean to you. Let's stop there and look at this invitation that was received. Now, if you understand the word Pharisee means to be the separated ones. So there's automatically some spiritual pride in their little group, uh, this little sect of the Pharisees. And uh, I wrestled with this a little bit because when you read this, Jesus has been invited to eat. And, and then he brings out this harsh, it seems to be harsh, criticism of them. It's kind of like, this is un, to me, this is unlike Jesus to do that. I mean, here this guy's offering you uh, some hospitality, and then you're ripping him for his character. I mean, well, let's just, so I, I wrestled with that. I think, first and foremost, we need to recognize a couple things here. One, this was not a main meal. Uh, this would have been more like a brunch. Uh, kind of like we have after church. You know, you go down there, you snack on a few things to deal with the low blood sugar so you can hang around until you can get home to eat lunch, right? You know, that kind of a thing. So it's just, yeah, but the crowd is gathering according to uh, Mark's gospel in this uh, parallel uh, story. The crowd is gathering. Uh, Jesus has just cast out a demon. Uh, it's, it's, it's congested and they invite him in to this eating, to eat with them. So I, I think understanding the situation in the Pharisees, this was not uh, probably more disingenuous than we uh, can imagine because they were always looking for a way to trap Jesus and to accuse him of either not observing the tradition of the elders or uh, the law of Moses. So um, this is probably at least at the midpoint of his ministry, maybe even towards the end of his ministry. And as Jesus' ministry developed and, and, and uh, grew in time, uh, so did the opposition with the establishment. So this is, uh, you kind of have to read some of this into that, if you will, to uh, maybe appreciate the response uh, that Jesus gave um, to the uh, Pharisees in, in, in not washing his hands. They probably were fishing for something to accuse him of. And, and the way that they responded to Jesus not washing his hands, to me, is quite telling. <laughs> oh, can you imagine this rabbi? He's just cast out demons. He's with these unclean people, these commoners. And now he's coming in here and just sitting down and eating without washing his hands. Oh! You've got to be kidding me. What kind of man of God is he? This is the kind of 
attitude of this judgmental hypocrisy that Jesus is dealing with. And it's uh, nauseating. You know, the word uh, marveled there is astonished. See, they just have a legalistic, critical attitude of their heart. And, um, you know, they considered Jesus a shameless rabbi, demon-possessed. So I don't think it's much of a stretch to think that this invitation to eat was disingenuous at all. And I think he may have actually uh, sat down without washing his hands to sort of let this come out, if you will. Um, it was not against the law of Moses to eat with unwashed hands. It was part of the tradition of the elders, according to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. But that's beside the point. And this haughty attitude, this critical spirit is met with a sharp rebuke uh, by Jesus. You guys, you separated ones. You're more concerned about the outside and you ignore the real issues of life, your heart attitude and what's on the inside. You have a darkened heart full of greed and wickedness. You're full of yourselves, essentially. And so, number one, these guys were astonished and Jesus, just like he couldn't take anymore. <laughs> and he's going to let them have it. They were less concerned about the inner attitude and the absence of love, and that's what concerned the Lord. But Jesus gives them hope there at the end. And if you cleanse yourself by giving, you'll turn around. It'll be light to your souls. You know, I um, look at this, uh, and I think, I'm sure the disciples were there with them. And I can't imagine the disciples uh, not being a little uncomfortable. I, I can't, I imagine they had to have been, oh boy, Jesus is telling them the truth. <laughs> you know, when someone's being scolded and put in their place, and rightly so, and you're observing that, it's not an easy thing to hear, especially if you feel like you've been invited into their house. So, I mean, this tells you something about God. He doesn't like actors. These guys, as we'll see here in the next few verses, were actually uh, pretenders. Verse 42 reads, But woe unto you, Pharisees. I mean, he's not done yet. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint, rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice, and the love of God, these things you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues, and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. I mean, he just went off on them. You know, this thing of justice, I'm going to pull that slide up there. This is, this is one of the, the, the greatest cries in the human heart. Is, is that of justice. We have this picture, I don't know if you can find it there, uh, in the slides, um, of the Lady Justice, the personification of justice, but what do we have there? It's a blindfold, and you can't really see that too well, can you? Uh, but she has a blindfold on. And we're, most of us are familiar with this photo. Uh, but it rep represents truth and justice, and um, this is actually the foundation 
of God's throne, is it not? Uh, justice is to be rendered without partiality, the idea of the blindfold. Uh, there's, there's no respect of persons. It's fairness and equitableness across the board. And truth is, has the sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And as Plato said, there's no one more hated than he who speaks the truth. And boy, I tell you, this is, that's what got Jesus crucified. He told these people the truth. And, he, and that's what we're supposed to live in. Look, you guys are not being fair with the people. You're not doing justice. Uh, you're missing it. You're concentrating on uh, the minors. You're majoring on the minors. You're not the major on minutiae. You know? Who cares about these little trivial details? And yet that's what they were focused upon. The other thing that he nails them for is their love, uh, the praise of men. Their reputation is what they wanted everyone to think so well of them that they would go out of their way uh, to hear uh, nothing but praise for themselves. Uh, and this is an indicator if uh, this is in our life and we care more about what people think than what God thinks, then we're not walking in faith. How do I know that? Well, the scripture makes it clear. Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 41 through 45, tells us. Uh, gives us a clue to the inside of this hard attitude. Jesus said, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from God only God. Do you think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. The key here is how can you believe who receive honor from one another? When we live on that horizontal level looking for praise and acceptance from men, then that sort of cuts the cord of faith. We should, as Jesus said, be seeking the honor that comes from God. And yet these guys were really worried about their own reputation. They're also blind to their defilement. And he uses the example of uh, walking over a grave unknowingly, which would technically make someone ceremonially unclean. Um, so they're, they're, they're blind. They're pretending to be something that they're not. Verses 46 through 54, so we'll quickly speed up here. Uh, then one of the lawyers, so that's also in the group. So this is just not one Pharisee. This is a group of people gathering uh, to their little brunch. Um, and one of the lawyers answered in verse 45 and said to him, Teacher, by these things you reproach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear. You yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness to that. You approve of the deeds of your fathers for they indeed killed them and you build their tombs therefore the wisdom of God also said I will send them prophets apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple 
Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter into, your, into it yourselves, and those who are entering it you hindered. And as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something that he might say, that he might accuse him. Jesus, he left no stone unturned when it comes to reproving these men. The lawyers placing heavy burdens on the people, overloading people with burdens. You know, that'd be like the lawyers today, and make sure you read the fine print in your contracts, you know. Creating so much detail that it's impossible for any one of these people to perform what they were being required to, to do. It's just something that's unachievable, and that's something that God doesn't do to us. If God commands you to do something, if in the law of Moses or any other commandment that he would give to you or to me to do and to carry out, he will also give you the power to do it. And this, is, this is a true throughout Scripture. Remember when they set Jesus up, they put this guy out there, and I think we'll get into it a little bit later in Luke here. Um, the guy's got, you know, he's got a uh, crippled hand. He can't move his arm much. And, and they, it's, it's, in, it's a church, right? It's in the, the synagogue, and he's right by the door, and Jesus walks through, and they, it's a total setup, complete total setup. And they, knew, they know Jesus. They know that he's not going to go, go by this without make, you know, doing something with this guy that's in need. And so Jesus realizes what's going on, and his love and compassion overcomes him, and so he says, stand forth to the crippled man. Stretch forth your hand. Now, why would you do that? You make the crippled guy expose himself. He's embarrassed because he is crippled, but now you're embarrassing him even further, standing out in front of everybody, and then Jesus commands him, stretch forth your hand. How cruel can you be? You know that he's crippled, Jesus. That's the point I'm trying to make is that with whatever God commands you to do, though it be impossible for you and I physically, mentally, spiritually, or in any other way, when God commands you to do something, he also gives you the power to do it. And when he's begin to obey what happened. He was healed instantly. And this is how it works. We are required to just obey, step out in faith and follow the instructions that were given. These guys would overload people with great burdens. They themselves were unwilling. They were not servants. They were lords. They were there to be served. You know, some of you might be struggling for an example for this, well, let me help you with that a little bit. Um, modern day examples, the activity that you need to look no further than what's going on in Congress. Consider the following list of things that they have exempted themselves from, and we ought to be fed up to hear with their activities. They don't have to worry about any of these things, whistleblower protection, subpoenas for health and safety programs, Prosecution for retaliating against employees, posting notices of workers' rights, anti-discrimination and anti-retaliation training, the Freedom of Information Act. They don't have to do any of those things. They are completely free. They don't have to obey any of those things that they put upon us. And many other things. It's a short list, obviously. Hypocrites. 
may God deliver us from such leadership. They actually honored the wicked here, these, these lawyers uh, in Jesus' day, for killing the upright. And yet they will face the judgment. And lastly, let's look at uh, what Jesus and his instructions in the midst of all this that he gave to his disciples because he instructs us. He told us about the light. He's warned us about the darkness and he's revealed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the darkness that, that covered their lives. But then he, in chapter 12 here, which is in the context, he gives his disciples instructions. In the meantime, when the innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that shall not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. And so he's again warning the establishment. He's putting them, you know, with giving them a proper perspective on who is leading the nation. Do as they say, but not as they do were the commands of Christ to them. Beware of their hypocrisy. They're just actors. They're pretenders. And they're going to be judged. There's no privacy with God. He sees and knows all things. And again, um, a reminder that our speech is so critical to our well-being. Speaking in secret, God hears and knows all. So we're again warned uh, about our speech and then he gives um, us the perfect perspective on who to fear who to respect because this is what the Pharisees expected this is what the establishers wanted they wanted to be respected of all and this is this is the challenge of Jesus ministry he was exposing them and they were they were losing respect the people were no longer fearing them as they desired the people to they realized that they couldn't control the masses through the law and all these heavy burdens that were, they were putting upon them. And actually, Jesus came to do what? Set the people free, not enslave them. And this is infuriating to them. And so Jesus is reminding you and me this morning as well, we are to fear God, fear him. He's the one who has the power to judge, to kill, to save. He never forgets anything or anyone. Well, he does forget some things. Aren't you glad? And would you like to know what that is that God forgets? My sin and your sin when it's forgiven. Hey, you know that sin you did yesterday? Did you remind God of that sin? What are you talking about? I can't remember. 
as far as the east is from the west, he's dropped it in a sea of forgetfulness. That's the power of the blood of Christ. But he never forgets you. He never forgets anything. He doesn't forget the sparrows, and he surely isn't going to forget you. You're the most valuable thing on the planet. Jesus came. He lived and died to provide our salvation. Your value, whether you believe it or not or whether you accept it or not, to God is immeasurable. The very life of his son was given on your behalf and we should not take that lightly. Romans declares that if it was the death of Christ that united us back with the Father in so many words, how much more shall his life bring you to the very heart of God the Father? And this is how you should look at your life. Don't be deceived by the enemy because you fail and you make mistakes. God's gone to the greatest length given the greatest effort to rescue mankind. According to the scriptures, as we close here, we no longer have to serve sin. We don't have to be a failure. Well, I'm just human. We don't have to excuse ourselves anymore. I would encourage you to read Romans 6. We've no, we have no obligation to sin just because we have a fallen nature. The Bible tells us right there in chapter 6 that it's the old man, the old sin nature has been put out of business. Katagero. It is out of business. We don't serve, you know, there's, it's not, the shop's been closed. There's no need for us to do business with the old man anymore. We also have been given something very special. The light of life, the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has provided for us a victory and he has also given us his spirit and the power to overcome the sin nature. You want victory? It's right there waiting for you. Do I want victory? Yes, I do. I want to trust God for the power to overcome. People ask, well, if that's all true, and I believe it's true, right? We'll all say yes and amen to those truths. Then why do I fail? Why do I live it? Why am I defeated? In a few words, because my faith is small. You have to reckon the old man dead. It's like Abraham. He had a promise of God, father of many nations. Really, I'm sterile. My wife's barren. Right. But you're going to have a son. What does the Bible tell us? Chapter, this is chapter 4, actually, Romans. Who against hope, believed in hope. See, that's the, that's the same thing that you and I have to do with the issues that are hanging us up our failures, who against hope, believed in hope, that God is able to make us to stand, that God is able to give us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're trying to do it on your own, it will be a miserable failure. But if you're trusting and leaning upon the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's what it says there in Romans, who through the power of the Holy Spirit, you crucify the deeds of the flesh and we're made alive. But it takes faith to do that. So, Lord, help me with my unbelief, right? 
Increase my faith, Lord. This is a lifelong prayer. It's a lifelong duty for us to bring ourselves to the cross, to receive forgiveness, to receive the power and blessing of God upon our lives, to live in acceptance before Him. Not by might, not by power, not by human effort, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So as we close here, just an encouraging thing. You know, we're here to, we pray for you. We pray for the church. We ask that God would continue to strengthen each one of us in our walk with him. And if you're feeling discouraged and downtrodden, you've come to the right place. You're not coming here to get beat up. You're coming here to be equipped and fed and encouraged and strengthened. So we are here to pray for you. If you feel as though you need someone to pray with, uh, come up here afterwards. Or you can, as was indicated earlier this morning, take advantage of the prayer room. There'll be back someone back in the prayer room uh, that you can pray with. Uh, we should take our walk with God, our walk in the light, uh, very seriously. And uh, this is the most important thing in our life is that we be united with God and that we walk with Him and we come to know and live in the joy of, of the Spirit and the presence of God. So let's pray to those ends. Father, I thank you for this portion, though it's difficult to read of these things, uh, the darkness and the attitudes that we're all capable of, Lord, this hypocrisy, uh, the failure, the darkness, Lord, it's something that, that, Lord, it just, it's hard to deal with in our lives. It's impossible without your help. So we pray for mercy. We pray for this delivering power to be a constant work in our life. And I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, that you will continue to do that special work of purging us, washing us, sanctifying us, and just making us more like Christ. Deliver us from this world. Deliver us from, our, from ourselves. Deliver me from me so that I might be free to share your goodness and be uh, a faithful servant. Lord, it's all our prayer. Each one of us pray this, that when we stand before you, we will hear those words, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. So Lord, whatever it takes to get us to that point, we give you permission, Lord, to sanctify us and sanctify this church, this body of believers for your purpose, Lord. Continue to equip us, strengthen us, and regenerate us, Lord, to be your people, to represent you accurately, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Shall we stand?